You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Christopher handles our, a lot of our Instagram. Christopher does so many things. Let's give it up for Christopher this morning. Um, and he, after he and I talked about what I felt for this morning, he actually wrote something here. I wanted to read this. Um, God has revealed himself in powerful and unique ways throughout history to help mankind. Yet, many were unable to recognize him when he came. He often uses unconventional phenomena to instruct and encourage us, but it can be easy to miss it if we're trusting in human understanding or the wisdom of the age. I believe we're entering into a new season of God's increased activity and help in our lives. How many of you feel that? Come on. And if you don't, start. And we want to be prepared to receive everything God has to offer. So as I said, I do sense that we're in a season when God's beginning to reveal himself in fresh, different, maybe even under unexpected or unusual ways. I know several weeks ago, it wasn't last Sunday, it was the one before, we had, um, I don't know, about a 15-minute period of time where the presence of the Lord increased in a remarkable way. How many of you were here when that happened? Now, I've been around these things for 50 years, the things of the Lord, and I've become very intrigued over those years with um, some of the um, unusual experiences we can have that are so encouraging and refreshing as Christians, as believers. And I've studied, um, I've studied history. If you study unbiased church history, um, you'll discover that God has done these things all down through the ages. It's not just something um, unique to, to, to us. But God has um, revealed himself or manifest himself in ways that you can't always explain, but it can really refresh and energize us, and it can actually build up our, our faith. So I don't want to miss what he's doing, no matter how he does it or what it looks like. Well, last a couple of weeks ago, I watched from up here while that was going on, and almost everyone in the building was engaged in worship. And that's not always the case. And that's not a criticism. It's just not always the case. I mean, um, well, if I say that, that's not going to be helpful. <laughs> Praise the Lord, you guys. <laughs> I exercised remarkable restraint. But it was, it was so refreshing to me to see, um, not particular people, but people who may not always be engaged in worship, engaged and, and expressing something to the Lord in, in such a fresh way. 
And um, well, welcome to a, maybe a brand new, to us in some ways, aspect of the realm of the Holy Spirit. And I feel that if we're patient and hungry, and my goodness, if, if you come to a church that looks like this, you have to be hungry. Now, I say that not to disparage what we have here, but I've been to a couple of funerals and church services in these places where, oh, man, they're such plush, beautiful, pleasing to the eye, remarkable-looking places. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do more of that, but if you're coming here right now, you must be hungry. I've noticed that. I've been talking to a number of particularly younger pastors in town And the things they ask me about draws out of me things that are 25, 30, even 40 years old in my experience because they're hungry. Um, I think the last couple of years have been very detrimental to a lot of people. But I think at the same time, God is doing something. It just does not feel good sometimes. I've seen this. I've seen this pattern over the years. God wants to touch your life. God wants to do something unique in your life. So, yes, Lord. But we need refreshing. How many of you would agree with that? We need refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And we find, um, well, let me say this. I need to be refreshed. I was awake early this morning. Um, I'm, you know, this is no secret. Uh, got some physical challenges, and sometimes I have a real positive attitude, and other times I don't at all. Anybody identify with that kind of life? I don't know. Maybe not, but it is what it is. Well. I later found out that a fellow that I had only met one time at one of John Mark's, um, I think it was actually a CD or a program where you were releasing an album release, and he said that I had gotten his young daughter, um, helped her get an autographed CD from John Mark. That was the only time we ever met, but at 5 o'clock this morning, he messaged me and said he was praying for me. And he had this list of things he was praying about. And I don't even know this guy. But let me, let me say this. Luke, in the book of Acts, addresses what he calls times of refreshing. Why don't you say that with me? Times of refreshing. Now, that indicates there are some times unlike other times. There are times where God does not seem to be active in our lives. And then there are times when he is seems to be more active in our lives. I don't know if you're aware of that, but Acts 3.19 reads this way. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. And here's here's the verse, the rest of the verse, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So they're unique and life-giving times of refreshing that can come from experience, what I call the manifest presence of God. And there's a difference. There's a difference in the omnipresence of God, the God who's always there, and the manifest presence of God, which is the times you actually feel with your senses and experience to your benefit 
the presence of God. You with me? Now, um, I wanted to read part of what this fellow sent me this morning at 5 o'clock. 5 a.m., he's up praying for me. Do you realize God will get people up that don't even hardly know you to pray for you? How marvelous is that? That's very marvelous. And so, um, one of the things he said was, and this is a little bit, this is very interesting. He said it started to snow inside our building. He said it started to snow inside our building. And as the snowflakes touched people's um, scars or wounds, they would be healed like they had never existed. He said others closed their eyes and looked up and the flakes would gather in their eyes and melt and run down like tears. Some people stuck out their tongues letting the snow melt on their tongues and it was um, it was quiet, like when we have these large snowstorms, he said, up in the Virginia mountains. But he could, he could hear the snow as it fell, and as, a, as the people absorbed, the sound of the snow got louder and louder. In other words, it came down more and more. Now, you know, what in the world does that, does that mean? Well, the Lord showed me a verse in Proverbs twenty-five, thirteen, and it says this. Like the cold of snow, like the cold of snow in time of harvest, it is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. And so here in the book of Proverbs, there, there is a picture, or maybe a metaphor, but there's a picture of snow in the time of harvest, which would normally be a difficult, hot, exhausting time that would refresh the harvesters, that would refresh those people who are in that time of harvesting, in that time of effort and labor. And so what I felt like the Lord is saying is he is really serious about refreshing us. He really wants to touch us in a way that encourages and, and emboldens and heals us. I believe that's part part of what he, he wants to do. There's something about the presence, that kind of presence of God, that's transformative. One of the things I've seen over the years, you know, let's say it this way. We have been through a hard season, right? What if there's a harder one ahead? Now, you know, that's not that encouraging, but I'm not in control of history, ladies and gentlemen. But here's what I have seen. When the Lord touches people, encourages them, blesses them, and refreshes them, you need to receive as much of that as you can get. Because you don't know what's coming. Maybe nothing. Maybe it's healing from the past. I don't know. But I've seen patterns when the Lord's giving something, we need to be receiving it. Because it's for our benefit. Because he loves us. Him, he woke a guy up I met one time, who knows how many years ago, back when they were still using CDs. 
And he's up at five in the morning praying for me and naming my aches and pains that he's praying for. Meanwhile, I'm laying in bed wondering if I'm going to get up. How many of you? That's amazing. That's remarkable. Did you hear my voice go up? <laughs> oh, me. Psalm 1611, one of the Psalms of David. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let me say that again. A promise and a psalm of David. God will show us the path of life. In his presence in his presence, it says, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is so good. And Psalm 42.5. Now, this is very interesting. David is talking to his soul. How many of you talk to yourselves? Yeah. You know, one of the... Um, one of the problems with talking to yourself is a lot of times you're criticizing yourself. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You're telling yourself what an idiot, jerk, fool, bum you are. But, but there can be a redemptive side of talking to yourselves, apparently, according to the scripture. Psalm 42, 5, David says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself. And why are you disquieted within me? Then he tells himself, hope in God. He tells himself, hope in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Now, another translation of for the help of his countenance is this. It can also be translated, whose presence is salvation. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, for his presence is salvation. In other words, when the Lord comes in that remarkable way, it's because there's saving available. There's healing, there's health, there's strength, there's encouragement available for the uh, help of his countenance, whose presence is salvation. So David addressed his own soul. He exhorted his soul. He encouraged himself to lay hold of the Lord in a way that had a saving influence. And here's what he was addressing in his own soul. To be disquieted means to be depressed. It means to moan. It means um, to fret. And to be cast down actually means almost the same thing. David was talking himself out of his difficulty by identifying the goodness of God and putting his hope there. Come on. That's so good. This idea of talking to yourself, you know, um, I never, uh, it, it was, it's been a long time before I saw what was actually going on in Paul's letter to the Galatians. In Galatians 2.20. You know, some of us like to preach to other people, but sometimes you'd be better off preaching to yourself. 
And what I mean by that is Paul. Paul wrote this to the Galatians. So he's writing a letter. Think about this in the context of a person writing a letter to other people. So he's speaking to these people. And he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I would now live, I live in the life. The life crucified with Christ is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith in the Son of God. Then listen to this, but you have to pay attention to it. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, why would anybody write a letter to someone else and then start talking to himself? In other words, wouldn't that normally be who loved you, gave himself to you, gave himself for you? Of course it would. What was Paul doing? I think Paul was encouraging himself once more in the Lord, much like David did. I think we spend way too much time speaking down to ourselves instead of speaking hope and comfort to ourselves. It's a very biblical principle. Yes, it is. David told himself, hope in God. His presence is salvation. So it's important to realize that the Holy Spirit may want to touch you and energize you. Maybe it's in a way that's different than your normal experience. I advise, I encourage, I exhort you to keep your heart open. Those very words, keep your heart open, were in the first song we sang this morning. Open up your heart. Stop a moment right now. Just stop a moment right now. Close your eyes. And why don't you say, Lord, I open my heart to you. You don't have to say it out loud. Make a deliberate decision. I open my heart. Be soft. Don't be quick to overanalyze or criticize things if you don't understand what's going on, if it's out of your comfort zone. And I don't think that's a problem here. But... um, I'll tell you this, whenever the Lord moves, whenever the Lord begins to do something beyond the norm, um, it can make you nervous. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Make you a little nervous. Um, I want us to look for a second at John 12, verse 27 through 30. That's the verse I referenced in the title this morning about some said it thundered. Verse 27, Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a booming voice, I don't think booming's up there behind me, but that is what it was. A booming voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it, And we'll glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but it came for your sake. 
or if you, that's the New King James. If you read that in the Passion Translation, it would read this way. Then Jesus told them, the voice you heard was not for my benefit, but for yours to help you believe. So Jesus said this unusual event occurred to build the faith of his disciples. If you think about it, his disciples were about to go through that whole Passion Week episode, which absolutely terrified, scandalized, and confused them. None of the disciples really believed in the resurrection. None of them even seemed to understand that Jesus was going to be crucified, although the Psalms talk about it and Jesus himself talked about it. But Jesus wants us to believe. Now, I know there's a process many go through, many have gone through, where you question what you believe. The thing that concerns me about that is there's a point where the wrong kind of questioning and the wrong kind of motivation and the wrong kind of internal perspective robs you of the very thing God wants to give you, which is faith. Which is faith. Jesus said this happened to build up your faith so that you would believe. The Gospel of John, John says it four or five times that he had written what he wrote so that you might believe. Now, here's the interesting thing. One said it thundered. The other people said it was an angel. But both were inaccurate. You know, I am, I am, I am so, um, what would the right word be? I'm intrigued with these Bible stories about the things people go through and how much people really do misunderstand the Lord on a regular basis. You know what I'm saying? No matter what, you know, even in Acts chapter 2, I haven't, jumping off here. In Acts chapter 2, when um, the power of the Spirit came in the upper room, people were confused because they understood What? Well, they were confused because they understood the disciples speaking in their own language. And in Jerusalem during the feast, there could have been 40, 50, 60 different dialects and languages. And when the Holy Ghost came and empowered, they were declaring the wonderful works of God in these people's own language. And that confused them. Now, that's sort of an awkward point, but it's not really. Anytime God does something new, confusion is part of the equation. It is. Questioning is part of the equation. And if you understand that, when you're confused or you're questioning, you can just take a few steps back and say, okay, what's going on here? Let's see what benefit there is. So we don't want to miss the Lord. He wants to help us believe. But there are times we don't even recognize the Lord even though he's in our very midst. We don't see him. We don't recognize him. And really, that's part of the Christmas message, right? That Jesus came. God did something in an unexpected way through an unauthorized person in an inappropriate way generated by supernatural means but means that involved the natural world in such a way that you could miss him entirely, and many people did. But you know, uh, that's another story. One of the things I wanted to look at was when the angel of the Lord visited Mary. 
And the reason I want to look at it is because I think built into that story are encouragements and characteristics that will help us. Okay, everybody still with me? Everybody? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So when the angel came to Mary with the intent of enabling her faith to rise to a level that would help her cooperate with heaven for the supernatural birth of Jesus, she responded in a most amazing way. That's what I want us to see. I had lunch with um, Peter uh, Hartwig last week, and we were talking about Christmas and and the birth. And Peter said, you know, some people have wondered how many people the angel had to visit before he could find one that would agree to the terms of the, of, of the idea that heaven had. Have you ever thought about that? I have ever since uh, last Tuesday when I had lunch with, uh, with Peter. <laughs> the angel could have said, Mary, listen, you're like the 45th person I've visited with this proposition. Are you in or not? I don't know. Come on. A little lighthearted sentiment there, but... Um, Here's what the scripture says in Luke 1. Start with verse 26. During the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God's presence to an unmarried girl named Mary, living in Nazareth, a village in Galilee. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, a true descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Rejoice, beloved young woman, for the Lord is with you, and you are anointed with great favor. Listen, Mary was deeply troubled over the words of the angel and bewildered over what this may mean for her. But the angel reassured her, saying, Do not yield to your fear, Mary. Listen, do not yield to your fear, Mary, for the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. Verse 31, you will become pregnant with the baby boy and you are to name him Jesus. He will be supreme and will be known as the son of the highest. And the Lord God will enthrone him as king on the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign as king of Israel forever, and his reign will have no limit. Mary said, but how could this happen? I'm still a virgin. Gabriel answered. This is the Passion Translation. The spirit of holiness will fall upon you, and almighty God will spread his shadow of power over you in a cloud of glory. This is why the child born to you will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Then something very interesting, the angel continued, What's more, your aged aunt Elizabeth has also become pregnant with a son. The, quote, barren one is now in her sixth month. Then the angel said, Not one promise from God is empty of power. Nothing is impossible with God. Then Mary responded, Yes, one translation said, I'll be handmaiden of the Lord. This one says, Yes, I will be a mother for the Lord. As his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. Then she says, May everything you have told me 
come to pass. And the angel left her. So there are characteristics here of how people can respond when the Lord begins a unique new season or has a new purpose. Now, of course, I'm not suggesting there are going to be more virgin births, right? No, of course not. But what I'm saying is when the Lord begins to do some things for us, humans have sort of typical reactions. How many of you follow me so far? Yeah, they have these kind of reactions that we see um, here in Luke 1. The first thing the angel says is do not yield to your fear. Do not yield to your fear. I think a lot of people have had fear, particularly over these last several years. How many of you have been afraid? How many of you have actually had to wrestle, wrestle with fear? I want us to say something together. I want us to say, I'm going to tell you, and then, then wait, and then we'll say it. I will not yield to fear. Let's say that together. I will not yield to fear. Tell your soul, soul, don't yield to fear. Now, isn't that better than, oh, good God, what's going to happen next? <laughs> Let's say that again. Soul, don't yield to fear. Verse 34. Mary asked a legitimate question. How could this happen? I have promises from the Lord that are older than many of the people in this room. And I have questions. How can this happen? I mean, it's not near as out of the boxes what Mary went through. But I think a lot of us have promises that we're still waiting on. How many of you say you're waiting on God to answer some promises? I think a number of us. But questions are going to arise. How can this happen? What was that? Oh, guy on the second row. I thought maybe my foot fell off or something. I wasn't sure what happened there. Verse 36. The angel says this. What's more, your aged aunt Elizabeth has also become pregnant with the son and calls her, quote, the barren one and tells Mary that the barren one, the one who could not have a child, now she cannot have a child and she's too old to have a child, even if she could have a child, is pregnant in her sixth month. Why would God tell Mary that? Or why would the angel tell Mary that immediately after this outrageous proposition about bearing a child who was the son of God as a virgin? Why would the angel say that? It's because Mary needed tangible encouragement to believe for what the angel was asking her to do. And so there's not a problem for us to sometimes want some um, uh, um, clear encouragement from God to make the next step. Are you, are you listening to me? But God encouraged Mary by revealing to her that her Aunt Elizabeth was pregnant, elderly, barren. So barren the angel called her the barren one. 
Now, one of the interesting things was that when Gabriel visited Elizabeth's husband, Zacharias, he did not believe the message that the angel brought. He said, how can I be sure of this? When, when the angel said, um, your wife's going to have a child. He said, for I'm an old man and my wife is, in, is advanced in years. And there's a little, um, there's a little uh, bit of wisdom here for husbands. They were about the same age, but um, Zechariah called himself an old man, but said his wife was advanced in years. <laughs> Pay attention, husbands. Advanced in years. Who was it? Stephen. Um, what's Stephen who does the art? That comes and spoken here before. Yeah, Stephen Roach had that observation. I've stolen it from him. Advanced in years. But the angel also told Zechariah when this promise came, don't be afraid. But God is showing grace to you. And that, that, that's so wonderful. That's so promised. Us, that promise is so wonderful. I want to look at verse 37 too. Not one promise from God is empty of power. Nothing is impossible with God. Not one promise from God is empty of power. Nothing is impossible with God. I, I am so confused by knowing the Lord. Because to me, it seems like some of his promises have no power in them whatsoever. Are you with me? But there's a, there's a really significant verse. The Apostle Paul, he said, Let God be true, but every man a liar. Let God be true. And there are times we have to say, you know, this doesn't... Well, Shelley mentioned this earlier. Andy's talked about this as well. There are times when life doesn't make any sense. There are times when what happens to you or doesn't happen for you doesn't make any sense. But I think we have to do as we need to side with the Lord. I think we can express all the frustration, all the angst, all the difficulty we need to. But at the end of it, we need to side with the Lord because hope is a legitimate response to whatever you find yourself in. It really is. It's a legitimate response. King James, New King James translates that verse 37 this way. For with God, nothing will be impossible or the word of God will never fail or no, all rhema is without power. And that phrase, all rhema, is about, uh, the rhema is speaking about a particular understanding or aspect of the word of God. In verse 38, Mary said this, let it be to me according to your word. That needs to be our heart cry. Our dedicated response to whatever plan the Lord has for us, no matter how unusual or even far-fetched it may seem.
life in God in discovering what he has for us and the process whereby he reproduces his supernatural life in us is not like a scientific equation. It's not like a two plus two equals four kind of experience. It really isn't. Being a Christian is an art form. It's not a science experiment. It, It really is. It's much more like a relational art form, a living, breathing, faith-based life of walking with him, stumbling, getting back up, believing him, enduring trials, celebrating him, celebrating victories that he wants to manifest in our lives. Let it be according to your word, Lord, your plan, your purpose. We're your people your sons and daughters. We're born to display your purpose and your glory in this present age and the age to come because we are the sheep of your pasture. Now, let me say this. There are all kind of reasons. Um, most of them are heart reasons that keep us from engaging with the Lord at the level we want to. And I don't want to go into all that, but I do want to do this. I want to invite um, our, our worship team back up. And I have a prayer that I want us to pray together. So here's here's the prayer. Let's pray this together. Father, we open our hearts to you and the Holy Spirit to refresh and encourage us. We yield our fears to you. We trust you to come to our aid. We are hungry for more of you. And like Mary of old, we say, let it be to me according to your word. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you're such a unique, what a thing to say, God being unique. You're such a unique person. and You're benevolent. You're full of loving kindness and tender mercies. Lord, let that snow, that metaphor, that snow of refreshing fall all over this place every wound, every scar. Let it be healed, Lord, by the goodness and the kindness of your presence. Let it snow. Let it snow. Let it snow. Let the refreshing come, Lord. In moments like these, we lift up our voice. We lift up our voice in praise to you, Lord, because we love you. We love you, Lord. Your loving kindness is better than life. I will glorify you, Lord. My lips shall praise you. My voice 
My voice, my voice shall declare your goodness. Who is like unto the Lord? the psalmist said what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you visit him let that refreshing come why don't we stand together sing a little bit together to close out today but before we do um, one of the things uh, well I, I had I had this thing happen to me this week uh, I, I honestly had a terrible week I I ran into a situation that caused a level of disappointment in me that you know that when you get disappointed you can feel it in your body you feel it where like somebody punched you in the gut you know and knocks the wind out of you and um it actually produced rage inside of me i i I felt this like rage overwhelm me that consumed me for a few days and um it was interesting because i i assess my spiritual maturity a lot by the amount of patience that I have. I I honestly feel like a fairly patient person. But this was like a moment that I realized there was some work in my heart that needed to be done. And so I just began to ask the Holy Spirit to touch that place, touch that rage, because it was was kind of the thing that was so uncontrollable. It was like, I just didn't know what to do with it. And so I just began to ask the Lord to lead me into the patience that I could not get to on my own. And I'm not standing here to tell you that I've fully got there yet, but what I am saying is the Holy Spirit is a person who Jesus has introduced us to because he can console, he can bring consolation where we have experienced desolation that is the work of the Holy Spirit he brings consolation where there's desolation and maybe you have a a, a place in your life that you feel desolate you have felt desolation come into your life in some form Um, let me tell you this the work of the ministry isn't easy pastoral work is is especially easy if Robin and I thought that we could meet with every single one of you and talk you through every one of the issues that you have in your life. It's not possible. Pastoral ministry is only possible because not just Robin and I, but all of us together, we are co-laboring with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings the consolation that we need into our lives. So I just want us to do this together. The worship team is going to just sing and you can engage in worship if you want to. But I would like to pray for us 
for a time of refreshing to catch us by surprise in our lives, for that consolation to come and empower us in ways that actually changes us, right? Because it's not just about having good church meetings, is it? It's, it's actually about a renewal of our hearts. It's about learning to becoming who God made us to be. I want to leave behind the fear of poverty and scarcity. To, I want to leave those fears behind so that I don't become afflicted by rage anymore. There's so many of us, so many people out in the world that are just oppressed by fear that they're going to miss out. They're going to miss not having enough. They're, they're not going to, you know, you know the drill. So why don't we just stop, close our eyes, maybe lift our hands. And that prayer that Robin was talking about, that snow, that snow that that man saw falling, that is God giving us a picture to hold on to. He's showing us a picture. He's trying to teach us how these things work because it's hard to explain the way the Holy Spirit works. It's hard to describe what is indescribable. All right? But just in this moment right now, wherever you're at, just picture that snow just falling on all those places like Robin was describing. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being here right now. We thank you for pouring over our hearts and minds right now. Sweet Holy Spirit, we thank you for bringing your consolation into the desert places of our lives, into the places that have been wrecked. Lord, every every place in our heart which has told us we don't belong, we don't add up, that there's something wrong with us, that there's that, that you're put out with us. Sweet Holy Spirit, we pray right now that you would restore, restore, restore what the enemy has stolen from us. The years of bitterness that we have endured, the legitimate trials and struggles that we have had to live through, every impossible question that we still don't have answers to. Holy Spirit, we ask you to pour out your fresh, your freshness upon those places. We give you the cynicism we give you the despair. We give you... Man, y'all, I'll just go ahead and say this. I am the biggest control freak. I have a control issue. I want to control my life so that there's nothing that I can't manage. And the Lord is wanting to lead me out of that addiction to control. And he's given me the gift of my actual life. He's given me the gift of my actual life 
so that I can discover the goodness of his Holy Spirit, not in some illusion, not in some fake idealized version of what my life should be, but in the reality of my actual life, the Holy Spirit places himself directly in the middle of that. And it is the calling of the children of God to say to their Lord, yes, yes, Lord, yes, Holy Spirit. We say yes to you right now to continually moving in our lives. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts, open the awareness of our minds to see you moving in our lives. Heavenly Father, this week we ask for your guidance. Lord, we say we want to be your disciples. We want you to be the Lord over our lives. And this week, this week, Lord, take us deeper into your love. Take us deeper into your love, Lord. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So before I dismiss you, this is going to sound so simple and obvious, but here's what I want y'all to know. Queen City Church is a house of prayer. It's a house of worship. It's a house of the presence of the Lord. And what I want to encourage you with this week is maybe push into prayer a little bit in your daily life. Maybe push into worship a little bit more in your daily life. Like we love our Sunday gatherings and we love doing this together. But you don't need to wait from one Sunday to the next to press into the things that God has given us. So it's no heavy burden. I'm not telling you if you do this, your life will change for the better or that you'll become a better person or any of that. It is that we think that Jesus is precious and we think that he's worth knowing. And a big part of that is the simple life of prayer. So amen. Take somebody out to lunch. Give somebody a high five, a hug, 20 bucks, whatever it is. Have a great week. We'll see you all next week. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.